Tug of War is an ancient game that pits two teams against each other in a test of strength and strategy. The teams pull on the opposite end of a rope with the goal to bring the center of the rope to a designated point all the while tugging against the force of the opposing team. A team usually consists of eight people of varying weights and sizes. There needs to be an experienced player called the driver who manages the rhythm and the strategy to pull when other teams are not pulling in order to get them out of balance and move the rope their direction. Most importantly, though, there needs to be what is called an anchor man who wraps the rope around their back and keeps the team moving backward. The team without an anchor man or the team who loses their anchor man effectively loses the tug of war. In short, no anchor man, no winning the game of tug of war. Recently, one of our members called me and they were more than a little distressed. Their distress was about a theological tug of war that he and another member had had with a couple of women at the mall here in town. The women asked our members if they would like to attend a Bible study. Sounds pretty harmless, right? As our members began to ask the women about their Bible study, some odd details began to emerge. The two ladies, mostly represented by an early 20s gal, began to claim that our members had misunderstood their entire Bible. Well, game on, right? <laughs> and just like a game of tug-of-war, the group with the right anchor man at the end of their rope is the only group that is going to win the war. The young lady began to confidently speak of prophecies in the New Testament that our members had apparently completely misunderstood. Effectively, she said that prophecies which our members believed were still to come had already come to pass. That would kind of distress you just a little bit, right? Did I miss something? Namely, for them, though, it was the second coming of Jesus Christ that we had missed. Well, this shook our members a little. And myself, after having an opportunity to talk through the encounter with them, found my interest to be piqued. So I did a little Google search about this dangerous group of so-called Christians. The search revealed that these gals belong to a church with a wonderful name. They often do, right? This one called the World Mission Society Church of God. The World Mission Society Church of God. In their mission statement, right on their front page, it was so refreshing, it said this, quote, the World Mission Society Church of God spreads hope and happiness all over the world. Well, with such a great name and mission statement, I thought I should look into their doctrine. I did so and thought I'd share some of it with you in case you are so lucky to get invited to one of those Bible studies. Listen carefully to their doctrine on God the Father. Quote, The church of God firmly believes in the Trinity. The Trinity means that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one and the same, 
although God works with different names in each age. Jesus is God the Father, Jehovah, who came as God the Son in the New Testament times. And Ansang Hung is God the Holy Spirit, Christ who has come a second time in this age according to the prophecies in the Bible. Well, I couldn't help but continue to dig, and I had no idea who An Song Hong was, so thank God for Wikipedia. <laughs> I got on and began to look at who An Song Hong was, and he uh, was an excommunicated South Korean Seventh-day Adventist who started the Church of God in 1964. And yes, you heard that right, An Song Hong, according to the World Mission Society, was God the Holy Spirit and embodied the second coming of Jesus Christ. Listen here to their doctrine of baptism. Baptism is a ceremony whereby one is born again. Their doctrine of the Lord's Supper, they refer to as the Passover. Quote, The Passover is the truth of life, which God establishes to give eternal life to mankind. The Passover is to be celebrated at twilight on the 14th day of the first month in the sacred calendar. Listen here now. To save people from the chains of sin and death. And if that is not enough, and you are not hearing the details that are very disturbing in their doctrine, you come to one that certainly gets your attention, and it has to do with the origin of mankind and all of creation. Listen to this, quote, The church of God believes in God the Father and God the Mother on the basis of the Bible. Well, friends, I hope that your skin is crawling by now. If it is not, you are in big trouble. A real Christian will not just be one who professes Christ, but will have an anointing the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, pointing out error from truth, effectively anchoring them for theological tug-of-wars. The opponent's desire is, of course, to tug people out of the apostolically planted church, effectively offering them hope and happiness while leading them straight to hell. This is no new thing. And, of course, my introduction is always tied to the text, and it's exactly what's going on in the first century. Around mid-90s A.D., the church is being pressed uh, on all sides. False teachers have been at it now for 50, 60 years after the death of Christ, and they are always, forever, coming to those genuine, real Christians, and like they are going fishing, they bait up a hook, and they put a bunch of sugary, candy, yummy-looking stuff on there, and they throw it out there in hopes that you will grab a hold of it, all the while knowing that hook is going to sink deep, and that barb will not let go. So we've now arrived at 1 John 2, verses 26 and 27, and last week in verses 18 through 25, we observed that the church in and around Ephesus were going through a theological tug of war. Like our members at the mall, false teachers called Antichrist by John here and liars had and were drawing people away from the apostolically planted churches in the region. 
With much confusion in the atmosphere, many in the church were distressed, were distressed like our members were, and perplexed as to who was telling the truth. On one end of the theological tug of war are the Antichrist, and on the other, the doctrine, the Apostles' Doctrine and the Holy Spirit. The question was, back then and still is today, who is going to be your teacher? Beloved, when theological tug-of-wars start in our hearts and in our minds, we must rely on the indwelling Holy Spirit to be our anchorman. He will remind us of that which he inspired, that is, his scriptures, and he will warn us when we hear false teaching. He will warn us. It is a good sign when you find yourself a little bit distressed because somebody knocked on your door or you ran into them at the mall and they begin to tell you things that maybe you've not thought of, right? That's usually what uh, antichrists do is they try and they study real doctrine and then they try and find some little way in to where they can begin to deravel or unravel that which you think that you have learned and they begin to pull on you and, and tell you things that God's name is different and all kinds of different stuff, anything to hook you. And if the Spirit of God is not in you, you are going to fall for the bait every time. Essentially, God the Holy Spirit is that one person who is the born-again Christian's teacher. As we get ready to hop into the text today, if you've got your Bibles open, we'll remember that last week we went over this text, but we're going to flesh it out a little bit more today, but you might underline it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. It has a lot to do with what we are going to talk about today. And as John does, and you might even feel like a little bit as you're here week after week, he kind of circles through and cycles through the same information a little bit over and over. And so we're going to hit on something we brushed by or went by last week, and it says this, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I want to take just a moment because we have spoken a lot about the word know or gets translated as know in your Bibles, and it is often the one that I, uh, that I like to speak to you about is gnosko, and it is the one that we often talk about is this Greek word gets translated as know, but it's, it's more like a marriage relationship. It's an intimate, personal knowing. And so the idea is when we want to know, we want to intimately, personally know Christ, and it is often Gnosko, and it gets translated. And when we talk about just information, learn the alphabet, right? Learn grammar, uh, learn history. The word that gets translated know is oida. And that is the word in 1 John 2.20, you know all things. And I want you to kind of keep a hold of that because it, it, uh, it lets us know that, that the apostles were teaching a corpus, a a desired amount of doctrine that needed to get transitioned and transferred to those believers to protect them. So, you have an anointing, one, right? The word and, you know all things, those two things. Notice the two distinct encouragements that John gives these distressed Christians who are being enticed to leave apostolic Christianity. They have the anointing, verse 20, and they have right teaching. They know it. 
Both the anointing and the right teaching come from the same source, God, the Holy Spirit. We know from uh, 1 Timothy 2 and 3, right, that, that the Word of God is not something that any man just came up with. 1 Peter would tell us that, right? But, but holy men inspired by the Spirit of God spoke as they were carried along by the Spirit. And so this book that we have in front of us is not just a normal book. It is not somebody just having a, a good spiritual day, right? Its very source is the Holy Spirit of God being poured out in a way that can be transferred and taught and learned, and specifically through those apostles. John starts our paragraph today with verse 26, and he says, These things I have written to you. I've made mention of this before, but it's worth doing so again. There is a danger in moving to certain uh, verses within a whole book and saying, well, the whole book or the whole letter is about this one thing. Uh, there may be some truth in that, and it may be something that we need to look at, but it is a very dangerous practice in studying your Bible to say, oh, this one verse, it governs all of the rest of this entire text. We do that. We uh, effectively begin to uh, set something, some kind of lens, right, in between us and the text, and it doles our hearing and and in our vision. And so I want to point out to you again that there are multiple purpose statements in 1 John, and we need to pay attention to them. And this one in verse 26 is one of those purpose statements. These things I have written to you. Although this verse at the end of chapter 5, verse 13, which says that, uh, that he has written so that you may know that you have eternal life is no doubt a verse that we should pay attention to. It is clearing up that which John had already said in chapter 5. And the author does this often. For instance, in 1 John 1.4, the apostle John uh, uh, joins the other writing apostles and says this. In 1 John 1.4, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. What things are the apostles referring to? That which John had just written and maybe summed up in chapter 1, verse 3, what we have seen and what we have heard. So the purpose statement about the apostles' joy, right, it sums up the previous thought that the apostles were eyewitnesses to the Lord, right? We want you to hear from us who physically saw and physically touched and physically heard the Lord, we're not going to find out until just this last week that there's these uh, false teachers, right, pressing in and saying uh, to the church that, that there wasn't a physical Jesus. It was just a spiritual Jesus. Another purpose statement is in chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. What are the sins? They are found in verses 5 through 10, walking in darkness and saying that we Christians do not sin. Just in the last couple of weeks, I had an interview with one of uh, the people who were wanting to join our church, and they have since left uh, because essentially they don't sin. And in my heart and desire to help them to see that they are sinners, they became offended. Now have left the eternal negative Google feedback. can't get rid of that stuff, man. (laughs) It doesn't matter if they're believers or not, 
right? What is John saying? I write these things so that you may not sin. Anybody who says they don't have sin cannot have the Father. Additionally, there are six I am and have written purpose statements given to us and to encourage believers in chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. They are meant to encourage the church. Why? Because their sins have been forgiven, because they knew God, because they were strong, because the Word of God abided in true Christians, and because they had overcome the evil one. All were reasons for writing this letter. This brings us to the purpose statement in verse 26. And it, just like the others, is a reference to that which we studied last week. John says this, These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. What are these things that John had written about? Deceivers. They were spirit-inspired truths about Antichrist. First, John mentions the singular Antichrist to come, and we pause for a moment. So much of this is not spoken of or taught in our churches today, not dealing with end times things, but yet here in the first century, just years after Jesus' ascension, they are expected to understand that Antichrist is coming and that a great apostasy out of the church will come. And no doubt some that are struggling with the issues that are going on right now in 1 John are wondering, is this Serenthus, this Antichrist, is he going to be the one who rises to the top and creates a great apostasy? John effectively says, no, he's not going to be that person. So second, the Spirit-inspired truth that we learned last week was that there were already antichrists who had come. I just spoke of him, Serenthus, at this particular time in history. And there were going to be more coming. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 5, Jesus said, Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will mislead many. The South Korean An Song Hong joins a long list of Antichrist posers. Posers of Christ who have appeared already. And what started in South Korea in the 1960s is now walking around the mall in Cheyenne, Wyoming in 2022. This Antichrist has misled many. Beloved, we must remember that Jesus' coming will be unmistakable. There will be no missing it. He says this in Matthew 24, verse 27, about his second coming. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. The idea here is not that Jesus is going to look like lightning, the idea here, beloved, is that nobody mistakes what lightning looks like. Nobody is confused when they see it, right? We don't look up in the midsummer storms in the afternoon in the sky and, and see gigantic clouds, right? This ominous clouds, dark, with uh, lightning flashes going off that are moving at 270,000 miles an hour and say, I wonder what that was. This is what Jesus is trying to say. Many are going to come. They are going to deceive many people. They are going to call themselves Christ. They are going to fish inside the churches. And they are going to draw people out of the churches to follow after them. 
And ultimately, they will call themselves Christ or they have the only way and many will be deceived. Jesus, wanting to be clear with his disciples in that last week of his life, looks at them and tells them the details of his second coming. We get to read that. We get to revel in that. We know that when he comes back, there will be no question. I wonder if An Song Hong was the Holy Spirit in Christ the second. How did I miss that? <laughs> Jesus goes on <clears throat> in those verses and follows up and says, where the buzzard, right, gathers, there the flesh will be. And what is the idea? Right? We don't look out and see a hundred buzzards flying around in a circle and go, oh, I wonder if they're having a convention. No, there's something dead there, right? You're not going to miss it. There's there is no way we're going to miss the second coming of Christ. Remember to pay attention to the third thing John had written that we talked about last week about Antichrist. Antichrists always come up with some heresy about the nature of Christ. Since God the Holy Spirit inspired the biblical writer, all that the biblical writer pens are not his words, but rather God the Spirit's words. Any teaching that opposes what God has already said is an anti-God teacher. Remember that the Antichrist uh, that reached out and tried to suck our members in, they were nice, right? They were respectful. They always are. The, a lot of times they show up with a well-pressed shirt and a nice little black tag. Hard not to be nice when your mission is to spread hope and happiness all over the world. However, they said that this God the Father is Jesus, who came as God the Son. Put that statement to the Holy Spirit's Antichrist test in 1 John 2.22. says this, This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Are you seeing the difference? They're saying Jesus is God the Father, Jehovah, who came as God the Son. And John says, you're wrong. <laughs> this is the Antichrist, the one who denies Father and the Son. The conjunction chi, right? It means two things. We understand that to be of the same essence when we study the Trinity. Love it, the difference between heaven and hell is just is the difference between Jesus is the Father and Jesus and the Father. Just two wrong letters, I and S, about the nature of God determine a person's eternal destination. Think of that. Friends, the things the Holy Spirit inspired John to write not only helped the first century to believer to know what they needed to believe, but also it is a massive help for us today, is it not? The Antichrists have not gone away. They just show up in different forms. They had a wonderful website, by the way. I wish ours, no, no offense, Thomas Wolf, wherever you're at. Man, this thing was amazing. They're a massive help to us today to 
lean in on and ask ourselves, what has God said about himself? The young lady that our members spoke with in the mall said that she used to believe exactly what our members believed until she found the right teacher. What had happened to that young lady has happened to millions of professed Christians throughout the last 2,000 years. She got in a tug-of-war without the anchor man, without the right teacher. Effectively, even though she professed Christianity, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God were not anchoring her life. She, was the, she had the wrong teacher. Furthermore, what happened to her in 2021 was happening in the mid-1990s when John wrote, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. John is effectively saying that those professed Christians who are walking around confused and telling you that you have misunderstood your entire Bibles, they went out from among the church even though they said they used to believe exactly what you believed because they were not really of us. They did not have the Spirit of God anchoring them in their lives and in their doctrine. They were professed Christians, but not real Christians. 1 John 2.20, remember, beloved, says this, you, that's the real Christians. John is writing after this church split, after all these people have left. They're confused, they're disoriented, they're disgruntled. But he says, you, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. So it is, beloved, in answering the question, who's our teacher, we see two sides of the same coin. That coin is the anchor man, the teacher, the personality, the person, God, the Holy Spirit. One side of the coin is having right knowledge, and where does it come from? The very book that he wrote. <laughs> the other side of that coin is that there is going to be an anointing. His Spirit will actually be in us. And as we learn from the Scripture that Jesus uh, uh, the difference between Jesus is the Father and Jesus and the Father, we need to pay attention when we're hearing those things because if you are a true Christian, you will have an anointing. Something is going off inside of you that is saying, that's not right. Something is bothering me. Maybe you can't put your finger right on it. So John says this, the other side of the coin is this anointing that the genuine born-again Christian has. Verse 27, as for you, that is genuine Christians, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. What an encouragement. The church is split. People are going everywhere. There's all these new teachings out there. It seems to be right. The culture is saying, this is all right. Come follow us. We got it right. Forget your Bible. Forget what those apostles told you. I said last week, forget what they said about gender. Forget what they said about what's going on uh, uh, throughout the life and culture of everything that is happening, even now in America. Forget that. Let that form what you think about the Bible. That's essentially what's going on even back then. John says, don't do it. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. In the context of false teachers trying to deceive these Christians out of the church, John moves to encourage them by reminding them of the miracle of God the Holy Spirit living in their lives. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the same encouragement 
that John and the other 11 apostles needed when it became clear that Jesus was going to die at the end of his life there at the hand of the religious leaders and the Romans. Jesus had comforted the disciples while he was with them, but at the dawn of his departure, he desired to increase the well-being of his friends. They're distressed. If you do a study in the life of Christ and you work through chronologically, you will see, and sometimes we're a little bit surprised by it, but it really does take to this last week in the lives of the apostles for them to begin to understand that Jesus was saying, I am going to die. Begin to read of that in John chapter 13, 14, and 15, and it's like they're getting hit by a train of truth and realizing all of a sudden, man, this Messiah is not going to come and rule and reign. He is going to die on a cross. And they are distressed, and no doubt they are thinking just what our members may have been thinking. Have I missed it? (laughs) Did I misunderstand the Bible? And Jesus moves to encourage them and says this in John 14, 16 and 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Interesting here that Jesus says another helper. He is referred to himself, Jesus, as a helper. Sometimes in your translation, it's going to translate that word there as comforter. So he says, he's going to give you another one that he may be with you forever, right? Let's not forget, Jesus is going. It's finally set in. He's going to die. He's not going to be there to help them remember the things to do, what was said, what was taught. And here it comes. He'll give you another helper that may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you. Notice here the differences. And future tense will be in you. Will be in you. It is the abiding presence of God himself and his spirit that is in the genuine believer that causes the genuine believer, even when they're pressed, even when they get in a tug of war, even when it seems like everything is against them, that keeps pulling them back, pulling them back to the right church, pulling them back to the right people, pulling them back to the Word of God, pulling back to prayer, as confusing and struggling as somebody may be, right? When that abiding presence of the Spirit of God is in you, you don't go out. You may be absent for a minute, but God is going to be pulling you back because He abides in you. Beloved, I have a dear friend who recently purchased his first home and he received as a gift a riding lawnmower from his father. That, let me tell you, is an amazing gift on any day. Even if you don't have a big lawn, right? <laughs> like, I'm going for a ride. <laughs> Every kid in the neighborhood is going to be on that thing with you. However, this gift was extremely improbable coming from his father and when he shared the story with me, it moved both of us to tears and deep sobbing. You see, for about 10 years, my friend lived addicted to alcohol and drugs. So desperate to attain those, he would steal from his friends and his family. And after being disowned by both his friends and family, 
And at the rock bottom of life, he admitted himself to a recovery program. There he was challenged to come to terms with his sin, repented, he believed in Jesus Christ for the salvation of God's coming judgment on sinners. And as promised in the Scriptures, God endowed him with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This time he's in his mid-30s and he's at the bottom. But being anointed by the Holy Spirit, his life began to immediately change. His family, however, still wanted nothing to do with him. He understood their hesitancy and soon after receiving the Spirit of God in his life, who was indwelling him for comfort, he decided to enter seminary. While going to school, he took a position at an amazing church, and some years later, his family and friends still did not trust him. They just thought it was fake. After years, though, of faithful service to the Lord, he is now the facilities director of a large Christian campus that trains future pastors and missionaries to go all over the world and share the message that radically changed his life. He married the woman of his dreams. His finances began to get straightened out. And he was finally able to purchase a home. And for him to receive a gift from his father that is essentially saying, son, our relationship is restored. Those types of testimonies only happen when the Spirit of God is in you. In contrast to that, I have another friend that lives just over the hill who was in deep trouble. Spent some time in prison. He got out of prison and and came to the church. And we spent a lot of time, my wife and I, our family investing in them, trying to help them through these times, sharing the gospel and... and, uh, I believe that there was some kind of genuine desire to get things straightened out, but as time went on, he began to drift more and more and more away from the church, and and his life began to be put back together. We saw less and less of him and his family. What is the difference? The Spirit of God indwelling, coming, changing a life. Beloved, God's promise for those who truly believe is that they will receive an anointing, the spirit of truth, not to be with us, but rather abide in us. That is the promise Jesus made. That reality and monumental truth has encouraged Christians for 2,000 years, giving them the staying power to live lives that were never imaginable. Jesus continuing to comfort his disciples at the, at, uh, the dawn of his departure In death, in John 14, 25, and 26, says to them this, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, right? There's that word again. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Without any shadow of a doubt, the context of this text is Jesus speaking to these 11 apostles and the promise that the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance all that he had said to them is a truth that we need to understand is the inspiration of scriptures. Although there is principles in there for us to grasp, the idea is, is 
When the Spirit comes, he's going to remind you of everything I said to you. Write it down. However, there is another truth in there. Whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And we look to chapter 1, uh, or 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, we see that there is a common role that the Holy Spirit takes. This is the teaching of believers. Just like the Holy Spirit would teach the 11 apostles, he was going to teach every believer in the future. John says that not only will the Holy Spirit abide in the genuine Christian, but they had no need for anyone to teach them. Now, this has confused a lot of people over the years because it just doesn't make sense. If you say, oh, well, I'm a Christian. I don't need a pastor. I don't need a teacher. Why do we go to seminary? Why would we learn anything about our Bibles? It says right here. Now, this really appeals to our Wyoming nature, right? Our independent spirit. <laughs> Stay, you know, give me my space. Give me my, you know, don't, don't tell me anything. But that is not what is being spoken of here. The whole letter is to instruct those followers of Christ to follow the commands of Christ, know the commands of Christ, gain the knowledge of which we talked about in, in chapter 2, verse 20. You know, oida, you know all things. You have been taught. So what's going on here? You have no need for anyone to teach them. The idea is that Serenthus and the, <coughs> excuse me, the Serenthians were out there calling to Christians saying, we have a higher knowledge. We have a better knowledge. And what John is saying here effectively is that you don't need to gain any more knowledge. You already <coughs> know all things, right? You don't need another teacher to come in and teach you. Beloved, when we have the power of God living in us and someone comes along teaching something that is wrong, little red flags begin to pop up in our hearts. My whole goal at the beginning of the sermon was, as we're getting ready to end up here, was that when you heard those teachings that that false antichrist teacher is saying, that something would be going off in you. And that's why I said, if it's not going off, there's a problem. God has given us the Spirit, the anointing, that when we hear something wrong, something causes you to call your pastor and say, hey, I ran into these two ladies who invited me to a Bible study, and they said this and this and this. And I just said, well, they're crazy. They said, oh, thanks. <coughs> no. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> the Spirit, right? He lets us know the fact that they're calling and asking. Something's off. Something's wrong, right? By and large, in my 24 years of having the indwelling spirit in my own life, my experience has always been that when someone is teaching something incorrectly or just flat out lying and trying to deceive me, the Holy Spirit always leaves me unsettled. In the 1990s, when I was first saved, uh, the Christianese terminology for that feeling uh, of being taught by the Holy Spirit was that he would check us. I'll never forget the first time that somebody used that language around me, and I thought, how cool is this? I was so excited. I was a brand-new Christian. I had no idea what was going on with any of it. There's all this Christian terminology of which I've tried to just do everything to get rid of for this very reason. 
And I remember, because I'm a little dull, it takes me a while, the person said, well, the Holy Spirit will give you a check. And I remember thinking, this is so cool. I'm going to get money from God, right? I'll tell you the story about the golden calf later. Like, who builds a calf? Like a leg, you know? I mean, that's your pastor. Taking me a long time. Just like Jesus would comfort, would teach, convict, and correct his disciples while he was with them. The Father would send the Spirit to indwell his children, to comfort, to teach, to convict, and correct us as it pertains to what is truth and what is a lie. The beloved, who is the Christian's teacher? The Holy Spirit. He has inspired the very words that we study, and he reminds us of them when theological tug-of-wars begin in our minds and in our hearts. John reiterates this truth as he wraps up this verse in these last couple clauses and uh, uh, to this very short paragraph that we looked at today. His anointing, John says, teaches you, that is all genuine Christians, about all things. He is there to convict you. He is there to comfort you. He is there to warn you and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Friends, if you're listening to me this morning and you have never experienced the teaching of the Holy Spirit, if you have never been sent a check in your spirit, if you, if you can't decide what is the difference between Jesus is the Father and Jesus and the Father, and that doesn't bother you whatsoever, there is something missing in your life. You do not have to follow the Antichrist teachers like the World Mission Society, Church of God, to be a non-spirit-filled, professing Christian. You can attend a doctrinally sound church, of which we desire to be so much, your entire life, and still be deceived. The assurance, friends, of our salvation comes from God himself. It comes from having an intimate walk, an intimate knowledge, an anointing from the Holy Spirit that helps you to maintain, that brings you back, that draws you back to his people, that draws you back to his word. We all ebb and flow through life. We have ups and downs. I've, we have certainly experienced them as a family. Difficulties in church, times where we stayed out of church for a bit. And I believe that if the Spirit of God did not exist in our lives, we would have just kept on going but he always brought us back. He always brought us back. Beloved, when theological tug-of-war start in our heart and in our minds, we must rely on that indwelling spirit to be our anchorman. The Holy Spirit is the born-again Christian teacher. Don't ignore it. For a lot of years, I have learned that when I'm thinking about somebody that's kind of out of my normal thinking process, I've now caught that, and I understand. I'll either stop right at that moment and call that person, or I will stop and pray for that person. And nine times out of ten, when I catch up with them, they'll say, I really needed your prayer that day. These things have been going on in my life. Beloved, the Spirit of God is alive in us. Christianity is not meant to be a dead, orthodox religion where, where we are not communing 
in walking with God, being attentive to the Spirit in our lives. He has given it to us as a gift. Let us pay attention to it. Pray. Father, thank you so much for your words of encouragement and also of teaching. Lord, uh, it's an awe-striking thing for us to even imagine that you are all places at all the time. But as we shrink that down to this very room, we understand that you are intimately involved with each person in their lives, their struggles, their fears, their victories, right now, Lord, as we spend time together. I thank you, Lord, for that great truth. Lord, I pray that if some have wandered, wandered, Lord, that you would draw them back to you. I pray, Lord, if we have grown cold in our faith and maybe have hardened our hearts towards your Spirit's conviction, I, I pray that this would be a year of freedom, of returning to you, of kindling a fire, Lord, in our hearts to serve you in a way that the live, our own lives and the lives of those around us, Lord, would be changed drastically. Help us, Lord, to re-fall in love with your word, re-fall in love with each other as, as believers, to link our arms up once again, Lord, as we travel into this year and do ministry in the name of your great son, Jesus. Lord, we'll give you all the glory for this. We know we cannot do it without you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.